Hello and welcome back to the Clown Hospital Podcast, the mental health podcast that is not afraid to admit that capitalism is the problem. It's me, your regular host, Sadie, with my new friend and guest to talk about harm reduction. Expect a little bit of harm reduction content coming up. By a little bit, I mean a lot. Adrian. Hello, happy to be here. Thanks for having me. Hello, how are you today? Thanks for coming on. Well, before I let you speak, um, you're you're my second guest who I haven't really like met before. You know, we've talked a little bit. Uh, you, you have sent a uh, hinged email when I asked for unhinged, but you know, it is very exciting that I'm having people that I don't have like prior friendships with, and I'm excited to have you on and learn about your perspective about something that based on these seven pages of notes um you're very passionate about yeah hell yeah yeah cool. thanks for having me on of course so so what's up who the fuck are you yeah why uh, should i care about what you're saying yeah um that's valid that was <laughs> <laughs> yeah so my name's adrian Forcione. i'm gonna kind of go back a little bit in my own history where we come back to the present because i think Absolutely. it's kind of important to kind of contextualize but like I agree. Like most teenagers, smoked weed. Hell yeah. And uh, we love weed on this show. Yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> um, and but my parents didn't like it, you know. And it took a lot to win back their trust. It was like a whole thing. There's lots of traumatic memories there. I'm not going to go into them, uh, but I named them to point them out how like the drug war encourages family members to police and surveil their kids. And really do like the cops job for them because like under pro under drug prohibition that's what people who aren't in law enforcement are encouraged to do so like we see this like i mean my, we'll talk about it more in my background in journalism of just like the alliances between the police and mainstream journalism establishment you see this in school with there you see this all really all around you and so when i was in college i did some like electoral politics activism I was in normal. I started learning about the war on drugs and that's like a period, dark period of time that I got into democratic politics, volunteering for campaigns oh, no. to get them to win. Yeah, and, but I learned the hard way that like politicians, Democrats, Republicans, everybody involved with the US state and just like an overall state regulated market won't like quote do harm reduction or solve the drug war. So I, and I used to work as a full-time freelance drug journalist. My day job's in marketing. I do want to get back to journalism when I'm ready to. And in the past, I've worked adjacent to the cannabis industry. And my drug reporting has appeared in Filter Mag, Teen Vogue, and some like cannabis specific publications like High Times and Leafly. Pretty like last December, I came out with a story on Filter Mag, which is like an online harm reduction publication, a long form reported feature about how the criminalization of testosterone attacks gender variant people. Testosterone is a schedule three controlled substance under the Controlled Substance Act. Um, initially, yeah, initially to target testosterone abuse amongst like amateur and professional cis male athletes. Um, but mm -hmm. the unintended consequences, right, is for anyone who's on testosterone for hormone therapy for like specifically gender affirming hormone therapy. So it's like not something that I saw. And yeah, it was a really great hit in drug policy online circles. And yeah, and also more personally, 
Um, I'm a medical marijuana patient. I know you Shout are. Shout out. I sure am. And I say that because I'm kind of a poser. I don't do other drugs. Mm. I'm just a stoner. So, and I name that. I can't speak for any other drug users. However, it's important because, you know, I think cannabis, like, you know, uh, cannabis exceptionalism tells people that the only drug users worthy are like legal, legitimate, quote, legitimate medical marijuana, whatever cannabis users, as if, you know, other drug users are disposable, which they are not. And, we'll and talk that, to, yeah. And yeah. as if like marijuana use and the, the use of other substances are like even that different as far as like treatment goes. Like oh. the risks like are definitely different, like say between like marijuana and opiates, but like it's not even like in reality, it's like not that different. Like I smoke marijuana to treat my mental and physical pain. Opiates are literally painkillers, yeah. and no matter what you get, get it from, like, your doctor or your dealer or whatever, like, you're using it to treat pain, and mm. it's not that different. Like, you know, like, I feel like every, like, 420, you see people saying, like, oh, no one should be in jail for, like, marijuana possession or sales or whatever, and, like, no one should be in jail for any drugs, like, right. at all. Because they're like it, it helps like no one who actually should matter, you know. Yeah. It gives people free and cheap labor, but that's not my values. I'll tell you that. Yeah, I mean, I also am only a marijuana user. I'm not historically only a marijuana user, but uh, I am currently. Yeah, the. Uh, well, it's also funny you say that, like, I'm thinking of how you, like, you said that, you know, that I'm a medical marijuana patient as well, and I am, and then also the stuff about parents as cops mm-hmm. and parents as security cameras, uh, parents as in uh, George Orwell's 1984, uh, that's really what that book is about. Yeah. And it's funny because like, you know, I I didn't smoke weed for the first time until I was 19. I didn't drink alcohol till I was 20. And then I didn't do drugs beyond that, like even until even later. And like part of that was like, you know, the this like the parental panopticon which I am now coining I guess of like you know like my mom was like always very strict about like substance use like she made my dad or asked my dad to quit drinking uh when I around when I was born and he did so and there just always was this like I just it just never felt like a thing I could have gotten away with and like I feel like that prevented that prevented me from from like smoking weed or drinking alcohol as a teen and you know I'm I'm grateful that I did not drink alcohol as a teen I feel like weed would have been fine but you know except except like trying to huff axe as a fucking teenager like and like I feel like that is like kind kind of like demonstrative of you know we like like weed relatively harmless like if I smoked weed at 15, I'd maybe even be doing better th- than I was. Mm-hmm. And but you know what isn't relatively harmless and like not a good idea? Huffing what? axe. 
like yeah so like preventing those like getting in the way of the safe options and like just pushes us to the unsafe options if we are looking for something to like cope with like the lives we are living mm -hmm. and we are restricted from from the relatively safe options and that but then we are forced into whatever we can get our hands on Absolutely. whether that is like prescriptions from doctors or paint and like fucking fucking body sprays or whatever like or jankum like shitting in a bottle and huffing the shit gas like you know none of that's like that good of an idea you know harm reduction if you want to do it like whatever just yeah. be as safe as as you can be totally cool. yeah kind of like uh to add to it it's like you know smoking weed when we were kids like there are like real life consequences kind of touched upon about like it definitely did like so many questionable things like they weren't like you know uh illegal drugs but like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna talk about it publicly but i've done some Fair dumb enough. shit done some like dumb shit with like in a drug user kind of like you know in a drug use kind of way with other stuff like substances you can get at the store is what yeah. i will say so and like also just like the obvious like criminalization of youth too it's just like for drug yeah. especially when they happen at school uh there's a school to prison pipeline and the lesser known school to youth rehab pipeline mm. that is lesser known so like uh i talk a lot about this more i have a teen vogue story uh published black and brown teens are still more likely to be punished for smoking weed and then another story um in a publication called truth out called even when marijuana is legal, young people are locked up for it. So, you know, we have like the uh, prison system that people are funneled into, but also this kind of like rehab industrial complex where young people are being court mandated to go to rehab for quote marijuana addiction, which like, we're not even gonna dive into that because I feel like we're gonna be here all day as a whole other episode, right? Which like, you know, there's can use have a problematic use, but I don't particularly think it's credible to send teenagers to like rehab facilities and uproot their life and jeopardize their future, you know. Um, yeah, I, I don't think it makes sense to like mandate that. Like if yeah. if like a teen or anyone feels like their marijuana, like uses marijuana, it feels like it's out of control. Like, you, you know, like if if you think rehab makes sense for you totally do it but like mandating that is is just insane and i you know like i uh one of my hospitalizations last year i was asked to go i was like referred to rehab and i decided against it yeah. and i you know it's it's like been um it's been a year and a half since then and you know my perspective obviously has has changed on that decision but I still don't regret not going because I didn't want to go. And if you don't want to be like in rehab and you don't want to stop your substance use, then you're probably not going to. Like mandating it makes no sense. And yeah, I mean, and I I feel okay saying this because they've mentioned this in the show, but mutual friend and friend of the show, Frank, mentioned in one of the episodes they were on. Shout out to Frank. Shout out to Frank that they fucking went, they had to go to detox for marijuana. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Like, that doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. 
Yeah. And I mean, like, I will say this on air. My parents sent me to like a, uh, like a marijuana drug counselor when I was 14. It was like my first exposure to therapy. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's like, just kind of like treatment as punishment model that is very carceral. Yeah. That, yeah, it, it, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Uh, yeah. And like, I can't speak from experience, but I can imagine that being forced into doing something, regardless of how helpful it is or could be or whatever, would make me not want to do it. Like I wouldn't if I was forced to go to rehab. Oh, it was. I don't think I would ever make the choice to go to rehab later on. And it's not like I was thrilled to be there or actually encouraged to open up with good intent. Or like, no. I think it was a really great period in my life. Like hypothetically, it was a great period in my life to have such a resource, but it was just like so discredited. And actually, yeah, uh, maybe not seek therapy for years after because that's what I thought was exposed to it. So exactly, you know, like you you've had ex you had experiences that you said were traumatic, and like that sounds linked to that. So like of course, like that, especially like as a teenager, like that is like yeah, you're young, you're impressionable. And then you're forced into this thing that could theoretically be helpful, but like the way it's presented, the way you're not given a choice, like those all get in the way of it being helpful. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so it's just all about just like, oh, like our kid is like smoking weed and we don't know what's about it, but we want them to stop. Like, like that's, it's like, no, like let's have an actual conversation about like what I get from this and like, well that like how to do it safely and all that like there's so many better ways so maybe we should start talking about yeah some alternatives so uh, my first question here is what is harm reduction and what is the philosophy behind harm reduction it's like kind of the same thing twice. yeah um there's a lot of confusion about what is and isn't harm reduction i'm gonna borrow a definition um hell yeah national harm reduction coalition because they say they they do it pretty nicely. And harm reduction is a set of practical strategies and ideas aimed at reducing negative consequences associated with drug use. Harm reduction is also a movement for social justice built on a belief in and respect for the rights of people who use drugs. Harm reduction incorporates a spectrum of strategies that include safer use, managed use, abstinence, meeting people who use drugs where they're at, and addressing conditions of use along with the use itself because harm reduction demands that interventions and policies designed to serve people who use drugs reflect specific individual and community needs there's no universal de definition or formula for implementing harm reduction and i also heard emmanuel zephyros uh the founder of an organization bandsafe mm -hmm. use the term risk reduction uh he has a podcast called drug positive and um, ever since I heard that phrase risk reduction, I personally preferred it because it implies that drugs themselves aren't inherently good or bad, they're more neutral, but it's really the risks that are associated with drug use yes. that yeah. make them harmful. Um, yeah, and just like, we're gonna talk more about this later but i want to be clear that like <laughs> yeah. the conversation i had to add that uh, question we'll get there though yeah yeah, yeah. We're, we're talking about drugs and you can like harm reduction can be applied to other things like sex 
Um, we'll also talk about later, but like we are for sure like not talking about voting or electoral politics. <laughs> That's not harm reduction, and we'll also get to that later. Yes, yeah, I couldn't, I could not resist because that that is that is a talking point uh, that I you know saw a lot in 2020, and I you know I think is honestly pretty disrespectful, but we'll get there. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think like the the common like non-drug examples are like seatbelts or like helmets, like, and I think that makes sense. Like, you know, I mean, you can make the the, the uh, argument that cars are inherently harmful, but like to the environment. But driving is risky, but doesn't necessarily have like a a moral like tied to some sort of morality or lack of morality or whatever but like it is it is risky like car accidents happen they happen all the time and just fucking put a seatbelt on and then you know when you get an accident that you know shit can still happen absolutely but if you are in a society literally designed around these death machines then like that's that's your option. And that's how to do it with reducing your risk. And that's great. We love that. We love when people are not dead. That's right. really, that. I really think that this is like the core of like harm or risk reduction to me is we love when people are not dead. Right. That's really all it is for me. Like, mm-hmm. totally. We love people are not dead. And we love when they're not in jail because it does, doesn't fucking do damn yeah. thing. For them themselves yeah all right so what are common and or notable ways people practice harm reduction in the past and present sure um so we're talking about some dr- drug waste but the hell yeah yeah yeah, yeah you know <laughs> so uh for drugs and harm reduction there's safe smoking kits snorting kits getting legitimate incredible information about how to use drugs that's not from there. That's not from a police department of a place that doesn't Absolutely exist. Absolutely not. not a place of shame, basically. So we're kind yeah. of being more practical um, of how to use drugs. Um, and also like, you know, being honest about their effects. Like no, no one in harm reduction is going to tell you that like opioids can't cause death, right? Like just being yeah. like, practical. So, and like other kind of like, practicality things to do is like whenever you're starting a new substance or just like a new form of it a different source of it like start slow to understand your dosage if you are able to measure it out in a certain way do that don't eat a pot brownie and because you don't feel it eat another one mm. Like nope. I've done. Yeah. So don't do that. The classic, these edibles aren't shit. <laughs> then like five minutes later, yeah, like yeah, yeah. yeah. And also another thing too, like in psychedelic circles, trip sitting is huge. So it's like when another person like kind of like supervises and sometimes guides the other mm-hmm. person. These also can be used in like therapeutic settings. It's becoming like more credible and used by like ma- like medical professionals, right? Like ketamine assisted therapy. Yep all these things, um, which were- I was, I was told now. I would never be prescribed ketamine oh, for yeah. therapy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's but not anyway. for everyone. It's not for everyone. No, no, and you know, that doctor was right to say that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, so there's also like safe consumption sites for drugs. 
they have like many many names i'm thinking of like safe injection sites or sometimes yep. also hard that's usually like when like uh whistleblower like right-wing media calls it safe injection sites yeah. um, like safe consumption sites can be for like consuming like orally consuming smoking based on like they're like in theory right it's just like any place to consume drugs and like we already have that for people who drink alcohol they're called bars and they're widely accepted and legal. So just kind of like that thread of consuming together and not alone can be pretty powerful um, for um, different kinds of drug users. We talked about trip sitting, but also like people who use opioids are encouraged to consume together if they if they have the choice, because not everyone, everyone does. Yeah. Uh, Medical marijuana can absolutely be a form of harm reduction. Absolutely. And like, even like whether you have a card or not, California sober is a thing. Sure um, is. Really, what help? Really, like what helps you get through and like meets your goals? And uh, oh yeah, I put all in caps. Reading labels, especially for weed. So if you are, <laughs> if you do have some kind of substance that has like this is the dosage. This is how you should use it. Like you should look at it because yes. you want to be informed about the choices, about the, what we're putting into our body. And there's also like medication assisted therapy. I'm thinking of you and Suboxone. Absolutely. Uh, and methadone. Like, mm -hmm, methadone too. So yeah, that's just a little bit. And like the heart reduction can be applied to sex, condoms and like birth control are really like can be used, but also like in the more wider scheme of things, it's like comprehensive sex education and like knowing how to have not just like, I guess it's like safer sex, right? Because like accepting like outside of the abstinence only model for drugs, we accept people are using drugs and therefore want to provide information and the same with sex, right? People are going to have sex and just giving them information and getting, you know, information about it of like, not just like cishet sex, right? And like knowing how to, knowing all the risks with, with that and kind of like tangentially sex work and harm reduction meet with like sex work decriminalization of knowing how high risk sex workers are just for like the general risk of drug use and also just like hyper policing yep. um, not just being a yeah talk about like keeping people out of prison who shouldn't be in prison and to be clear no one should be in prison so yeah totally yeah. Yeah, and we'll talk a little bit more if we get to it, just about like the kind of moments in history, but like queer people, especially like black and brown queer people, um, part of the AIDS initial kind of like shock in the 80s and 90s were really, you know, as part of like a community care model, we're kind of implementing harm reduction strategies. And another thing too is uh, harm reduction for self-harm and eating disorders is less talked about. It's different than the kind of like harm reduction we have because self people who self-harm disorder yeah are like not like can be criminalized based on their identities but it's not like drug use that is criminalized however yes. there are like mental health food access and insecurity like other systemic factors that like play into it um and then there's a great piece i wanted to shout out one of my editors of Fil filter mag castellio medrano she wrote a piece called Harm Reduction is for Eating Disorders too, kind of diving, making like parallels between drug use and also just making like fair differentiations too, such about like, you know, the policing aspect. So yeah, so those are some ways you can do harm reduction.
and how it's done. Yeah, that's great. I, well, let's, there's, there's a few things that stood out to me of, you know, things that stood out to me because of my own personal experience of them. You know, marijuana, especially like, like as like MIT, like I am in a recovery group that is based around that. That is, it is people who, uh, I guess I'll say the name can recovery and people who like, you know, typically like have gone to other meetings and then like, like people have like lost sponsors because of marijuana use people like lose friends because of their marijuana use and recovery and so it, it is like, like the root for people in substance abuse recovery who are using marijuana as part of like their treatment and i can say for myself personally that if i was expected to be stone cold fucking sober without weed i just would be dead i just like the level of like my PTSD and where it's at, like I just, I would be an absolute fucking mess if I couldn't just like sip on my vape pen every time like I got startled or whatever, like, and also like so important to like have community and like, you know, I think about like how, you know, a lot of those people are coming from groups like after losing sponsors and losing like group membership and losing friends you know like such an important part of harm reduction is like community is having people to use with people who will trip sit you or like monitor your use in some way uh if you want them to like that is so important and like cutting people off from that as punishment is like it's just it's insane it's like it, like in this frame of like risk reduction it's like you're just increasing people's risk if you're like cutting them off from like doing shit safely and if i if you know the first step is like admitting that things are unmanageable if my life feels unmanageable and i feel like weed is what helps me make that feel more manageable then like oh yeah fuck off <laughs> like yeah um i also like a just dumb thought i had in my head just yeah. uh safe consumption spite sites uh specifically for boofing Wow. um just you know keep it spicy and then also yeah like i also am a person with a history of self-harm and like i can say one thing for me that has been a reduction of yeah it's like yeah you're right there isn't like much of a legal risk i feel like as someone who self-harm self-harms mm -hmm. the two major risks or like i guess like the three major risks would be like infection is like the obvious one there is, you know, kind of like if like dosing, like if you like accidentally do something like do do an injury worse than you were intending, mm -hmm. um, that can be really dangerous. Mm -hmm. um, and also like something I worry about sometimes is if someone knows I'm self-harming, mm -hmm. like the risk of like being like 302 or voluntarily committed. Yeah. It's like, yeah, like I'm not going to get arrested for self-harming and also, I also think like in conversation of self-harm in relation to substance abuse, I think some of a key thing that I like, I, I do see my self-harm thing as an addiction and also like my main addiction, but mm -hmm. there's like, the, like a very, very, very significant thing ab about it that makes a difference in substances is that like other, well, of course, like the criminalization aspect. And then also fucking money, because like money is like so like if you talk about risk, like the the risks that people take to in order to afford substances that they are 
depend like become so on some way dependent on like that is a huge fucking risk of use mm-hmm. and you know i i have drug history but like you know i that is not a risk for me as far like you know i i i still self-harm sometimes you know i'm trying to stop but but like i don't have to worry about like costs for that you know but like there are things that i buy for that purpose but it is not at the rate or expense of uh, basically any substance. Uh, But for me, like what has been, you know, like for the risk of infection, uh, you know, just like, and my sponsor asked me to do this, uh, is just do like a little harm reduction kit of, I put, I ate them all because I have an insatiable sweet tooth, but I put, warheads in there because like that's like a classic uh thing for cravings I love you know that. yeah me too like you know and I, I I think the idea I don't know is there actual science behind it like actually like, there is sort okay of. great like when you it could be used for a panic attack too have you heard about this in warheads no okay so this is what I say this and that I know it works because it works for me personally, but this is definitely a TikTok trip I learned. So take it with a grain of salt. It might not work for everybody. Yeah. Um, but in theory, so you're like at a heightened, overwhelmed, overstimulated, like panic state, pop, pop a warhead and your brain is like, holy shit, this is like, what's, <laughs> what's going on? You need to refocus because it's like a very intense, like sour thing. Yes. And I think what it has been explained, I'm trying not trying to spend this information, but like it's kind of your amygdala is like telling you, like, yo, stop freaking out, like get grounded. Um, and it kind of brings you brings you back into your environment, um, as like similar to like dunking your head in water. Yes, exactly. So yeah, so um if you if you're somebody who can get like overstimulated overwhelmed and like panicky always travel with some warheads hell yeah yeah and then i like also like you know i've heard well one time i got i got two stone i ignored the label yeah i mean i i was given instructions and i was like fuck that and i got too high and i was like i googled like too high what do i do and and you know this is something people have definitely heard of is like chewing peppercorns and like i don't know like too lemon yeah well like fucking you know and that's it's, it's like you know like you said like the diver's response is ducking your head in your water it is like an intense experience that like ends up grounding you and like that's what i felt the peppercorns did is like is like you know do the peppercorns have some chemical that makes you less high I absolutely do not believe that. Yeah. Um, if someone can send me an unhinged, unhinged re- email and prove me wrong, uh, go for it. I don't think you can. But, you know, it just gave me something to focus on. It was like, you know, I like was like melted into the bed and like the the peppercorn was like, oh, here is like a thing that like I just focus on that and then my body like comes back together from the puddle. And yeah, so like also my self-harm a harm reduction kit is just like some like antibiotic ointment some 
like aqua for, for for dry skin so and then just like bandages and gauze like and and tape for the gauze like it's just you know if i'm gonna do this anyway and you know it's not my goal but it, you know no matter what my goal is it, it it keeps happening and like i might as well like reduce my risk of infection mm-hmm. and then also like shame if i like put gauze on it like mm-hmm you know, that it covers it up. Also, you know, you're going from doing an act of harm to an act of care. Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that I think is, is powerful in its own way. Yeah, thanks for sharing. Of course. Also, speaking of thanks for sharing, I do just, the, the reading list uh, you're, you've, you have given me and our listeners is very exciting to me. So I appreciate it. Yeah, I, I'm all about reading. Love getting people to read. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I love to read. All right. So let's go. Uh, so what are the ultimate goals of harm reduction in your words? I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> so we hear about Narcan, we hear about drug testing. Those are Absolutely. good things that you should do if you can. I encourage you to do them, but they're not enough. They're not enough to like solve any significant drug war or just like the greater like capitalist crisis right so there's safe supply a safe drug supply to summarize our drug supply and i'm thinking like canada and the united states contaminated with fentanyl benzodope and you're seeing more and more kind of like more lethal opioids. And the idea behind safe supply is that if we provide clean drugs to communities, to drug users, there will be less overdoses that are caused by contaminated drug supply, right? And that's pretty fantastic, but it's still not enough. So there's police and prison abolition. No more jails, no more prisons. Not just it's not just for people with weed offenses, not just for people with drug offenses, um, not just for sex workers, for everyone. And uh, yeah, so sex work decriminalization goes with that. And like you know, it's kind of this like greater social economic need of like accessible housing, food, other basic necessities, fucking public bathrooms, right? In Philly, we're like a huge thing about like, we shouldn't have public bathrooms because people are gonna do drugs with them. And it's like, well, I mean, whatever. So, you know, stuff like- And then those same people like also like are like, no, like say reduction sites or consumption sites in my backyard. It's like, well, fucking choose one, bitch. Like, you know, I'm not gonna have to use drugs in your bathroom, like your store's bathroom or whatever, if I just have a safe place to do it Totally. Right. Or I have like a safe supply and don't even like feel the need to like be monitored like so intensely. Yeah, it's definitely like failed argument. And like this is part of the larger sphere where we're advocating for the abolition of capitalism, colonialism, imperialism, the US as we know it. How fucking yeah. And yeah, so and like radical harm reductionists are some flavor of leftists, so anarchists, socialists, communists. And now we could talk about some moments in history that incorporated harm reduction. Um, oh, yeah. So, yeah, so I mean, like ACT UP and kind of the adjacent organizing during the initial shock of the AIDS HIV epidemic, predominantly the 80s into the 90s. 
that was like pretty like more explicitly harm reductionist in the sense of thought for like needle and syringe exchange programs, which like are pretty legitimately, pretty legitimate, scientifically backed and researched, um, pretty commonly understood to be like a very useful tool. Um, however, uh, they're still like horribly stigmatized and precariously funded even now. Um, yeah. But kind of like thinking forward, if say, if like 20 years ago, needle exchanges were kind of how safe consumption sites are now. And that's thanks to the work of harm reduction. So that's definitely like a big part of it. But two other moments I wanted to talk about that aren't explicitly harm reduction per se. It was like before it was really like a term that was yeah. like used to understand this, but like I'm thinking of the Black Panthers and their free breakfast program for kids. It's like giving kids something to eat and community and just like, you know, having a place to go. Really that community cares harm reduction. And also there is a documentary, Take Down, Take Over, but a short documentary about how the young lords took over a hospital in New York City and just really like exposing how racist the hospitals were back then. I mean, like what we know about medical apartheid now is horrible. Imagine what was like fucking over 50 years ago. So, and that's like, you know, in access to healthcare is absolutely a harm reduction issue. Opioids and drugs were <laughs> like, have been used for decades and it's not like overdoses are not new. The need for harm reduction is not new. Um, so kind of fighting for like free and accessible healthcare in a very militant way is like totally the way to go. And like shout out to the Black Panthers, shout out to the Young Lords. And also, we should also talk about STAR, Streets, Transvestites, Action Revolutionaries, led by Marsha P. Johnson and Sylvia Rivera, were also doing solid harm reductionist work before like, you know, that term was coined and like they're providing housing for homeless LGBTQ youth. Uh, and sex workers, because housing is like the part of it that like, that's, that's the thread for a lot of people. It's the make it or break it and yeah. providing a safe place, especially like, you know, we didn't talk about it in depth, but just like the fucking housing shelter bullshit of like, you have to be like clean in order to stay here. Yes. Uh, Ooh. Ooh. Do I, as someone who used to work at homeless services, boy, do I have fucking feelings on that? Yeah. So these struggles are like interconnected and like the struggles are very much interconnected and like yeah. how we see like the future from like a radical leftist point of view. Yeah, the, the main, like the thing that just popped in my head was last time I was in the crisis response center in Philly, there was a, there was a man in there who was struggling with opiates, was trying to get in a detox and then treatment. And he was like, me and this old lady that I made friends with were talking to him. And he was talking about how, like, you know, that he's in the CRC all the time. And he feels like he's kind of like burnt the bridge with that, with him. Like people don't believe him any and believe in him anymore. And don't trust him to get sober and you know we we're talking about it and like something that he said that like you know was, was not news to me but still like really stuck to me stuck with me was like how the fuck do I get sober when I like I'm sleeping on a sheet of cardboard every night right yeah it's like yeah and like it doesn't matter how bad you want it or like it doesn't matter that like you know you want to see your kid and like like the courts are only gonna let you see your kid if you're sober or whatever like 
Mm-hmm. None like how badly you want it. Like if you like, you know, just like think up like I'm thinking about like how like like I said before, like opiates are a painkiller. Like mm-hmm. sleeping on the fucking street, that's not comfortable. I don't know if people realize that, but that's not comfortable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yeah. no shit that like if you're like fucking shivering and sore on this fucking like piece of cardboard like no shit you're gonna get high like it is like absolutely it's like absolutely like a rigged fucking game and like the whole shit like the like of like you need a like fucking project home bullshit like of like you need to be sober to like get like uh like permanent supportive housing it's fucking bullshit because again like you know like you like even if you're in a shelter, like if you are sleeping in a room with like 75 other men, you might need to like do opiates to fall fucking sleep. Like, like, cause imagine how fucking like alert that must make you, especially like if you've been on the street and how like, dude, like when your body is like always looking out for danger, like sometimes you like, cause that is what my substance use was about was like, I just was in high alert all the time. And the only way I could not feel that way was with ketamine. So like, you know, like it is harm reduction to like just make the people not feel those, like mm-hmm. to not force people in these situations. And like in these like fucking rigged ass situations where you're like, oh, like you can't like, you know, I, I had a client who, um like almost didn't get housing because like he tested positive for fucking weed and but then and then like um someone else was also um like at the same time like got in like passed the drug test and then my person was pissed because he was like i smoked with him it's like they're like their drug tests aren't even like consistent like i don't like i don't want them to be i don't want their drug test to be accurate but like if you if you're gonna do the these fucking rules like like you know like you might like i don't know i i like i think those rules shouldn't be there but it it's like bullshit because it's like you know it, it doesn't like even do what they're like wanting it to do like oh we don't want anyone who smokes it's like oh well like you know you might just be getting someone who just didn't smoke for like a few weeks before the drug test or you might just be getting someone who for whatever reason the drug test didn't work or like whatever like people get our people know how to get around that shit like like a lot of times it's just drinking a lot of water like like a lot of water uh, that is my tip uh, if you need a pass a drug test uh, for weed at least. Um, but anyway, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it is really important uh, and I'm really grateful that you added like these like not like traditional harm reduction examples uh, because, you know, as I was explaining to my mom in the car the other day is like, you know, most people don't love doing crime like you know depending on what it is like you know like the guy who mugged me wasn't like all right you know what'd be a great thing to do this saturday night mug a bitch like no like he needed money for for food or bill baby formula 
or drugs, whatever it was, like, if you get rid of that need, like, there's going to be a lot less of that, like, of that behavior that, like, you find undesirable, like, that undesirable behavior, quote unquote, is like a product of these systems that, like, keep people from what they need to survive. And people are kept from what they need to survive. They do things that are, quote unquote, unpalatable, whether that is like stealing or fucking identity theft or doing drugs to cope, like whatever it is, like that shit, like is a lot more manageable if people are just given their basic fucking needs. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what I gotta say on that. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Damn, we could just finish this, I think. We yeah. can just do it. Yeah, I think we can too. Hell yeah. So what are the barriers to harm reduction practice? Sure. So pretty obvious, like criminalization of drugs and kind of drug prohibition policing. Um, the Controlled Substance Act uh, passed or signed by Nixon in the early 70s that kind of like birthed the DEA where like definitely drug policing, especially around like weed, um, was like definitely a thing for a hundred years, but this kind of like uh, Controlled Substance Act created like a formal federal um, drug controlling program that led to, you know, quote, mass incarceration and like the dramatic increase. but that's not to say that people weren't incarcerated disproportionately before, mm-hmm. uh, but that's kind of like where that spike comes from. I mean, the um, kind of social movements that were happening towards the end of the civil rights movement, um, kind of this like free love drug experimentation amongst like hippies and then like the anti-war movement, Black Panthers, Young Lords is more radical communist kind of climate in like the late 60s it's like not a coincidence that Nixon took the liberty to use drug criminalizations to you know use as like a way like to go after these social movements you can't arrest an idea but you can arrest people who are disproportionately using drugs um, who are people of color, fucking young people who are into all of that were definitely using these substances and then like the, the, the Reagan era <laughs> kind of like amped everything up, created new paradigms, one of them being drug-induced homicides. So like those are becoming like more apparent today in the way that like we're reframing. Like, I think obviously there's lots of propaganda and lots of stigma and kind of like right-wing uh, narratives around this stigmatizing drug use and drug users, but there's like a more compassion for drug use. I think, especially in the past like couple of years, where people are talking about harm reduction, where they're a little bit more compassionate as like substance use disorder as a medical condition, and uh, which we might have feelings about. But the framing, yeah, we're more compassionate about drug use, and also not being compassionate towards certain drug users who contribute to their friends. So like, it's a pretty common practice amongst people who use drugs to like, you know, share with their friends. So like, for instance, if someone dies, this woman overdoses and they got painkillers or whatever kind of substance 
from a friend, that family who's the surviving family of that person can absolutely legally press charges, a homicide charge against the person who gave Jesus them. Christ. Yeah, who gave them that. And then you're looking at like not only like his obviously like possession charges from offenses aren't to be um, like those aren't little, those aren't minor. Um, it can radically improve your life. But when you're hit with a distribution charge, it's um, it's a felony. It's a violent, quote, quote, violent offense. So like everything that we know about this discourse around we need to free nonviolent offenders, like that doesn't include drug users who are labeled as dealers, right? Because I think we're like, even though as the larger cultural canon might be more compassionate towards people who live with addiction, there's this kind of counter narrative as like pinning certain ones as like demonizing certain drug users, people with addiction as dealers, as awful people, when it's like ignoring kind of this like larger sphere that we're in. Um, and that kind of like goes with this kind of like rampant propaganda in mainstream media, in schools, in workplaces, really wherever <laughs> you can find propaganda. In kind yes. of so that and like, you know, obviously cops are a barrier to harm reduction in practice because drugs are illegal. However, just this kind of like framing as like fear mongering around drugs, the ways that this shows up in our interpersonal life, being afraid to in- engage with substances. There's definitely like ways of like the drug war encourages individual people to surveil each other, to shame each other. Yes. That are a direct result of this kind of socio political climate that, you know, just like decades of drug war policing and policies that have um, been set forth. And yeah, and then, you know, we were talking about not in my backyard and just like kind of like the right wing opposition to safe house, to safe inject, to safe consumption sites. A lot of these people is kind of like, you know, are adjacent to the alt-right in some way. Like when I, like I wasn't really involved, I don't want to take credit for being involved with safe house, um, but the work that I was doing with, Yeah, the work I was, the journalistic work that I was doing around Safe House, the uh, safe consumption site in Philly that was being proposed, I think it was like 2018, 2019, 2020, that period. That's when I was doing anti-fascist journalism and like following, like, what can we learn about people who are very vocal and what are their uh, motives? What are their alignments? And a lot of these figures that were at like, leading these anti-safe house rallies were the same people who would go to the open up Phillies that were the anti-COVID, like the COVID denier shit in like May 2020. So like, it's definitely like the same flavor and like, you know, it's around like now, now proud people know that proud boys are bad now because of like January 6th, right? But that was the time during journalism when like that was not well established. So yeah, so it's like definitely something to look out for is like the, just like greater right-wing tone of this, like I'm thinking like far right of like, you know, when we say drug users aren't welcome here, drug users isn't welcome here. Like what are the actual implications of like, cause that's like a eugenicist narrative. Absolutely. So, yeah. So it's like, we have to be like really careful about like who, who we're giving the mic to um, in a lot of those things. So, you know, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because like the whole philosophy is like if someone is is like 
doing a behavior that like I think is wrong or I like don't agree with or like you know and like that can be something as innocuous as being trans or or using drugs or being black they just like want like anything that like they don't want to see they don't want to see it so what just like is you know exists in the forms of not providing services for people to imprisonment to fucking like murder and like you know we we are seeing like you know like for trans people like calls of gender like we are seeing people call for genocide like will it happen we can argue that forever but like we are seeing people call for it and like it is all the same shit i mean you know and like you know that goes hand in hand with like covid denial because who is like most at risk for covid it is people who are disabled who like the right would love to see us die like the the black and brown people who are more likely to be service workers and like are economically uh coerced to work in like restaurants and and stores like that should be closed for covid it is all in favor of this like exterminationist philosophy yeah. that there are people who do not deserve to live people who muddy the bloodline or whatever the fuck like and we don't want them and and we I am not inclu- I am not including myself in that week but like those people like don't just like want to just ignore and if nor doesn't work like fucking jail and jail doesn't work exterminate and i i I think you know it is like i also am thinking you know i'm thinking a lot about like the trans political context these days and you know i've seen people like oh like they're gonna start putting trans people in like internment camps and like I you know the response is like you're fear-mongering or whatever and you know I just had this thought is like that this has actually been happening to like black trans women specifically like forever because like if you think about it if you are bullied out of school and like don't get you like your high school diploma uh or even like you have high school diploma or maybe even more than that like college diploma but like people don't want to hire trans people and with like at will employment like you know no like legal protection like is enough when you can just say well, like i just fire them because i was firing them like then what those those quote-unquote protections do it's like well so if you're economically forcing trans women specifically black trans women into street sex work which is also which is illegal mm-hmm like if you're economically putting someone in the position where you are much more likely to arrest them and then just like toss them away like how is that different than like putting people like mm-hmm. in camps it is like finding a way to criminalize an identity or or in a, like a, a, a way of existence and then that serves as the justification to throw us all away yeah and that's fucked up. <laughs> that's real. That yeah, that was a little soapbox. I hope that made sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and like, man, I hate like the NIMBY shit too, because it's like, man, like if that is your kid using, and you know, like, let's be real, like you know, 
it's not controversial at this point to say that like the reason like the stuff like people are more flexible with substance users and maybe even like why is like you know i would say the reason i don't think it's controversial to say that the reason is that like what was historically seen whether that was like accurate or not as a like a black and brown problem started to hit people at home uh right. like white people and by people i mean white people right. so and it's like man i hope to god that if like your kid needs a safe injection site that like that is in your fucking backyard yeah that actually sounds that actually sounds really great cool. like if if people i care about need that i want them i want it to be in their community and i want it to be yeah. in my community like it's that simple yeah cool and then do we do we want to do this last section Oh yeah. Cool. So how about, you know, we, we, we kind of teased this earlier, but what about the co-optation? Is that how you pronounce that? Co-op? Yeah. Of yeah. harm reduction look like. Yeah. Talk a little bit about a couple of these things. Propaganda and just like law enforcement, police, prisons, kind of like co-opting harm reduction. Uh, nonprofit industrial complex. I think there's kind of this like professionalization yes production that's going mm -hmm. on and that's not to say that like people in the professional class can't use harm reduction either because like i'm thinking of like mental health professionals medical professionals like we absolutely need people who are working in those fields to be have favorable views to make policy changes but we do get a little it gets a little messy when kind of forget these like radical origins of the yes. movement and we don't mention abolition of like you know it's kind of this whole like contact your representatives thing um yeah for enacting drug policy which like you know for certain like it might be a useful tool for some things but like in the nitty-gritty of harm reduction like you know we can get like a safe inject like a like if we're lucky right we get like safe yeah like, but these are things that like have been going on underground for fucking decades. Like, even though like now we have like psychedelic assisted treatment, for instance, that is like becoming more recognized and used, especially with like clinical trials in the FDA. But like, that was a thing that like people at Harvard were doing in like the eighties, the seventies, sixties, fifties, like people were doing that just like without really any credentials, which like sound sketch yes and probably like it was a situation was but also like that's kind of like the heart of these movements it's like people looking out for other people um who use drugs we definitely don't want to like divorce those like origins from it and like i yeah. want to talk about like you know we both live very close to each other in the united states but what happens in canada is like a like will soon happen in the u.s in the sense of like Canada was really the first to be hit with like fentanyl contamination. And now that's like pretty, you know, I get, I think like East coast, it's more so like opioid and then on West coast it's meth in terms of like what's contributing to overdoses. But a lot of that like uh, was happening in Canada at like higher rates before us. So there's a really, the, there's podcast called the crackdown is really awesome. They had a recent episode called the iron law but like, it's generally a great podcast if people are interested in learning more about Canada and just like drug war. Yeah, like kind of like drug war correspondence, right? Like in drug reporting, I think they do a fantastic job. 
many of them are drug users themselves and they also like interview other drug users. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, it's great. And like they talk about kind of this like, you know, we spoke about demonizing drug users and dealers and the legal consequences of that. But also like the watered down version of safer supply in Canada, like it's not really a fully safe supply because it's not like if they're not giving like free drugs accessibly to their community. It's very much like a government system where many of the barriers are similar to like the housing services that we spoke about where it's like it might be great and phenomenal for a few, but it's inaccessible to many and most to like. I think it would be a disservice to call it true safe supply. And like in that episode, they also talk about benzo dope. I mean, we have seen that in like kind of high profile overdose cases, but I think that is kind of this like multi-substance of like once people are dependent on fentanyl and seeking out something stronger because of a contaminated drug supply, they're seeking something stronger to keep up with their tolerance. Like we are going to see benzos and like Narcan can't like, Narcan works to, you know, uh, bring someone back from opioids, but like Narcan doesn't do anything for benzos. Yeah. So like pretty grim, but definitely pay attention on what's going on in Canada and do not be, do not be fooled that like Canada is this like progressive. Oh no, absolutely not. Or harm reduction by any means. And yeah, we previewed a little bit of this before, but like in kind of like the people who get their politics from social media, this kind of idea that like voting as harm reduction as like the lesser evil their economy of we see in the like total politics yep. of like, you know, one is less evil than the other. First of all, shitty options. Second of all, no. So like there's this great zine by indigenous action called voting is not harm reduction and explains Voting as harm reduction obscures and perpetuates settler colonial violence. There is nothing less harmful about it. And there are more effective ways to intervene in its violences. And I also like um, Dev Springer, they have a podcast called Groundings, also really great. And I don't know which episode, but like they were talking and posed the question, harm reduction for who? exactly exactly i was like yeah that blew my fucking mind because i was like exactly that is what yeah so like ask yourself so it's like talking about like and you know like electoral politics can be a tool it depends on what you're using it for it's not a tool that i suggest i recommend but if people no. do it whatever i'm not talking to you <laughs> <laughs> but you know like when we talk about like harm reduction is very specific to drug users and its history it has such a more rich history that I think is a true disservice when we talk about voting as very much this like I don't know it gives me it gives me heebie-jeebies I hate it it's so awful yeah, I just I had I had to throw this question in there as I said before because it's it's something I sound I find so infuriating. Part of that being like I think even like beyond like harm reduction for who it's like when we we see Obama enact some of like the same policies as Bush or we see Biden enact some of the same policies as Trump, it's like it's not even harm reduction. It's just like pa- palatable. It's like the sign of like 
it, like the, you know the, the classic thing that everyone loves to dunk on and we should love to dunk on like if hillary won i'd be at brunch right now but the same fucking shit like you know if obama did more drone strikes than bush then like what fucking harm was produced? It, and then if like, you know, Democrats are talking all about like children in cages, like during Trump, and then the same stuff was happening under Biden and they're just not talking about it. Like it is, it is not even about reducing harm. It is just about what person doing it is like palpable. Like, like Trump is like this like very divisive figure and Biden is just like this like flaccid little bitch. Like, and like people find that more some people find that more palatable but like he actually is like building like walls like border walls like it is like it, it, it's just like insane to me to like and it just like is you know like you're talking about like you know like the non-profitization of like harm reduction and like forgetting the roots and i i like i think like that you know, when there are these like really radical roots and like, as you've talked uh, earlier, like very radical goals as in like, you know, the abolition of the United States, most people would say that's a radical goal. And um, so to like try to shove voting in there and like is just bullshit. And also like that just like, you know, we 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 don't have two bad choices for no reason. Like that comes from somewhere. Like that isn't just like yeah. na- nature just gave us two candidates. It's like no, like like this is a system that like is worked a certain way that like you know in the primaries no one gave a fuck about Joe Biden and somehow he's our president. Like it like it is a like rigged fucking game like people think wrestling is fake like follow fucking elections my bitch like like i I don't fuck i I said that wrestling fucking thing and just broke my brain but yeah um i'm but you can keep this in what i'm about to say because i have so many links i know i've mentioned a lot of things but i very much encourage people to reading and being in journalism, I cite my sources, but there's a really great article on Counterpunch that I did not write, cannot take credit, but it's called Liberalism and Fascism, Partners in Crime. So if you are interested more in learning about kind of like how Democrats and Republicans and just liberalism, neoliberalism as our structure currently right now, and fascism go together and feed each other, um, you can read more, more about that um in an article that articulated articulates these ideas uh better than i do hell yeah yeah i will definitely wow the 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 episode notes for this one are gonna be through the roof but they all sound like great reads and then i also you know kind of on that subject of citing sources um, I want to go back to like nonprofit industrial complex. I am currently reading a book called "The Revolution Will Not Be Funded." Yeah, it's a great book. Yes, yeah, I, yes. Yeah. I I am almost done with it, and like you know, like the like the core thing that like holds like the book together is this idea uh, of like you know you're talking about this like 
you know, we can't forget like the radical roots of these uh, thought, these philosophies, and then these actions. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is very much like the non-profitization is very much like an intentional watering down. Like if we are spent, if we're raising all this money and then spending it all on fucking salaries, then like what is actually going to the communities being served? And, you know, there's also like this concept of, you know, if we are relying on funding from the foundations, which are like, you know, a tax scam uh, for rich people, then we are like beholden to their standards. And then also like not only to their standards, but like to what is like, what is like trendy. Harm reduction, like I definitely, you could definitely say it's trendy now and I'm sure you couldn't get funding somewhere but like when something else trendy pops up like where does the money for harm reduction go right so like there there needs to be like alternative ways of funding and like and you know there is a limit uh like these limits of like you know if you a nonprofit probably isn't gonna like fund your like illegal abortion or whatever like there is like like they're like you're like this like formalization like sometimes we need to do things like outside of the law and like being tied to this like careerist model really discourages that really waters it down and it really does not fucking help anybody except for the people who don't want us to do radical shit to get shit done yeah yeah great book I recommend it highly. Cool. I feel like we did that. Unless you have something else you want to say. Um, I think, think we somehow got through my notes. We fucking did it. We did it. All right. So I, as you know, I end each episode with gratitude. And I first am grateful for you for coming on. I am always really grateful. As I said before, for people who like don't know me that well personally, come on. Like, I think that is amazing that makes me, I don't know it makes me feel good in some way it you know it's cool to see this like expand ever so slightly beyond just people who are my friends uh also I'm like really grateful for just the amount of like information like that you provided just so much reading for people so like just like really really thorough and like Knowing how quickly you did this, like before <laughs> recording, it's extremely impressive. And also, just I, I said this uh, in another recent episode of just like you know, like I just wanted to talk to like whoever random people like because I I feel like there is like in a lot of recovery podcasts there is like this relying on like either like celebrities or experts, and it's like kind of funny how you know, and not specifically seeking out quote unquote experts. Like I am also just stumbling into like my friends and acquaintances who like, actually like I would consider uh, that. And like, is it's like really impressive and cool. And I'm so grateful for you sharing all of this information with me and my audience. Um, of course, thank you. And then I, outside of you and you know show related stuff i am grateful for i'm grateful that i i have a sponsor who encouraged me to do like that harm reduction kit you know i have 
utilize that. I am grateful, like, like, you know, to be on topic for the people in my life who have enacted like harm reduction in some way. And I guess in that, within saying that, I'll also tease the next episode, uh, which will be part two on harm reduction, where my ex, who was my partner during the height of my use, uh, comes on and talks about our personal experience uh, with harm reduction in the context of my substance use. So I'm really grateful for the people in my life who enact these principles uh, in their day-to-day. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, hell yeah, it is great. Thought it might be a little spicy, because <laughs> <but, laughs> yeah. you know, it's my ex, but you know, we're, we're friends. Cool, so what are you grateful for this evening? Uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity. I'm grateful for all these cool listeners that are going to listen to me geek out. Oh um, yeah. I'm I'm grateful for anybody who does the reading that is not required because I'm not your teacher, but no. I encourage reading and I encourage research and I encourage you to have critical thoughts and to not get your politics from social media. Yes. Don't even get your politics from Clown Hospital, the podcast that is whatever, you know, the tagline, you know, I, I think like the important thing is like, you know, getting like doing your research and, and getting like thoughts, like getting perspectives and information from a variety of sources, I think is like the most key thing. Also talking about talking about those sources with people, having conversations. Absolutely. Vacuums. Um, so, yeah. I, I love talking about what I'm reading and yeah, I, this, Me too. this is really like when I, when I write, it's like <laughs> me at home at a desk alone. So I really enjoy opportunities to be able to like talk about this and really get like the spoken word out. Oh yeah. I'm glad I could give you such an opportunity and maybe you can come back one day. All yeah. right. Cool. So do you have anything you, other than uh, all of these articles, do you have anything else you would like to point uh, my audience to? Yeah. Um, I'm at MixThem, M-X-T-H-E-M-M-E, on Instagram, <laughs> on, on Twitter. Um, hit me up. Let's, yeah, hit me up in the DMs. It, not in a sexual way, unless you want it to be. But <laughs> if you have thoughts about our reduction, you know, hit me up. Yes, and I will say, do please do not um, DM me in a sexual way. Uh, just, I just don't. Um, even if you want wanted to, I can guarantee you that I probably don't want you to. All right. So, and if you want to uh, follow me on my socials, uh, the only one I really want to give out uh is tall gf on letterbox if you want to read my movie reviews um because i also i love also, I, oh hell yeah so um, you can i just followed you on instagram and now you can follow me on letterbox you, and i'll you follow you back follow me, but i'm not i'm not putting out my my letterbox yeah yeah I'll that's fine you. that's totally fine i'll follow you back uh when i see that um yeah i also uh, love to share what I am reading or watching or playing and just like my thoughts on it. Um, and I, I love to do that on Letterboxd. You can follow, you can send a unhinged email to clownhospitalpod at gmail.com. 
it may just end up with you coming on the show. And if you want to keep up uh, with like new episodes and and sometimes I think of a tweet to put on there, we got Clown Hospital BB on Twitter and we got Clown Hospital Pod on Instagram. And that is it. With that, we say that this podcast is dedicated to everyone that we lost um, in our struggle and the struggle of being alive. And may we heal in their honor. Peace.